So I'm going to preach. Um, then we'll have some church news a little bit later and we'll see what we do. Is that okay? Good. Excellent. I'm going to speak about, um, I'm actually going to be speaking out of the book of Acts. So about two years ago, we did the first half of Acts. We looked a lot at the ministry of Peter and the start of the early church in Jerusalem. Um, This morning, I'm starting a new preach series that we're going to be running right the way through um, until around Easter time on the second half of Acts. And we're going to start by looking at the conversion of Saul. We're going to be looking at the whole subject of how to convert a murderous sinner. Sound good? How do you convert a murderous sinner? Good question. You know, Saul was a murderous sinner. And he was the least likely to follow Jesus. You can pick up the start of his story in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn to it. But we find that Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, he was there at the stoning, at the execution of Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus. He, he was there and he gave his approval to it. But it didn't just stop there. On the back of Stephen being martyred, it says a great persecution rose against the church in Jerusalem and Saul was at the heart of it. And it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women, and he committed them to prison. Saul was right there. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. He hated everything that it stood for. And he was looking to destroy it. He was looking to pull it apart. Acts chapter 9 Let's pick it up from there. Verse 1. But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that's basically Christians, that's the church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice But seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision um, of a man, a, a vision, a man named Ananias, come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
And, he, and here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, he regained his sight. Then he rose, was baptised and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he went with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here with this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you so much for an amazing uh, closeness of your spirit as we worshipped. And I ask you, just as I look to preach on the back of that, um, feeling very much what, what you've given me to share ties in so well, I pray would you anoint me and enable me to do it with all grace and wisdom. And I ask you, would you open wide our hearts and would we receive everything you've got for us today? Come and have your way, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to look at the conversion of Saul under three headings. I feel particularly the first heading has relevance for where the worship took us. So we, we, we may do all three or we may just do one. We sort, is that right? We just sort of see how it goes um, in the moment. So I want to look at conversion, its heart, conversion, its process, and conversion, its purpose. And look at it through what happened to Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. Now the first thing I notice, and it ties in so much with where we finished the worship, at its heart, when Saul was converted, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He met with Jesus. He saw Jesus as he truly was. In verse 5 it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And if you track through Saul into the Apostle Paul, through the letters he wrote, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there are so many different perspectives about Jesus. I mean, Saul had a perspective about Jesus. I I reckon Saul's perspective of Jesus went something like this. That Jesus was a man, that he lived and that he existed. Saul might have thought that he was a good man. That in certain instances he might have given a bit too much leeway to people who were in sin. 
Saul might have thought that he was a miracle worker and saw some of the healings or some of the miracles that he did. But Saul also thought that he was a false teacher. And Saul also thought that he was leading Israel astray. And that is why, although Saul knew something about Jesus, he didn't see him clearly. He didn't fully understand who Jesus was, and therefore he could not respond to Jesus as he should do. You see, at its heart, conversion isn't about going to a church or putting on a bit of religion. At its heart, Christianity is an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. It's about meeting with him, of knowing who he is, of knowing what he did, and embracing it with all of your heart. You see, if you only embrace Jesus with a little bit of your heart, you only give him certain aspects of your life, maybe your Sunday mornings, or maybe your Sunday evenings, or maybe this aspect of your family, or this part of your life, you've not accepted any of Jesus. To embrace Jesus is to give him full reign in your life. And as we read later in this passage, Acts chapter 9, when Saul is in Damascus and he's um, talking with, with, with the Jewish people who did not believe in Jesus, there are two key things that he identifies that I think are still key today. And we must know it. These are absolutely critical to our Christian faith. The first one is this, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. We've celebrated it over the last four weeks. Hey, praise God not to sing any more carols, eh? Oh. I mean, I love them at the start of December. But by the beginning of January, I'm really pleased to see about the back of them. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. This is at the heart of the Christian faith. But also we find in verse 22... I'm thinking of a Sunday lunch already. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He was sent to deal with the sins of the world. He was sent that we might restore. He might restore our relationship with God. And there is no other way. No other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. It is only him. It's the name that saved you that day, whenever it was, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And it's the name you wake up with this morning and you call upon him. Oh God, I need you. Oh God, I thirst for you. Oh God, you are who I need. You're my source. You are my life. That's exactly what we have been singing about. Oh, please, do not allow your Christian faith just to be the clothes of religion that you put on like a certain jacket. I wear this on Sundays, you may have noticed. I put it on on Sundays, this clothes of religion. Clothes of religion. Jesus is my life. I don't need to know and understand all this all great theology. What I need to know is he's the Son of God. That he lived, that he died, that he's risen again, that he's ascended on high, that he is Lord of all things. And in being Lord of all things, I say, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I am yours. 
It is the heart of the gospel. It's where you started. And it's how you'll finish. For I resolved, Paul said, to know nothing while I was with you in Corinth other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. It says in Matthew, um, we were praying this morning. It was an awesome prayer meeting. I absolutely loved it. But it said this in um, Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus was asking the disciples, who, who do they say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. At its heart, conversion is about an encounter with Jesus Christ. And at its heart, it is a work of God. Saul didn't just wake up one morning and thought, oh, I might have got it wrong about this Jesus bloke. The Father was working in him. And no one can be born again because they've reached some level of intellect, in cleverness. <laughs> or, or just because you've had a change of mind. You can only know God. You can only become a Christian if God gives you the eyes to see. It is a supernatural work. A better illustration is to say it's like going from blindness to sight. Once, every single person in this auditorium was blinded to the gospel. We were blinded to who Jesus was. We were blinded to the truth. And then one amazing day, the Father started to reveal who Jesus was. Not just as a man who once existed, who might have been good, but the saviour of the world. The Holy Spirit started to warm our hearts. Saul was made physically blind on the road to Damascus, but spiritually his eyes were starting to open. And Saul could never have seen Jesus clearly if the Father hadn't started a work of grace in his heart. And it's the same for us today. You're not here because you just chose to. Well, you might have been. You chose to get up. But it's because the Father started a work of salvation in you and revealed Jesus to you. In the New Testament, it frequently talks about spiritual blindness. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are blinded. But then it says in verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. At its heart, 
Conversion is an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it is a work of God by grace alone. That's why I love to worship, because I get to gaze on Jesus, and I get to celebrate the fact that it doesn't rely on me, it never has relied on me, it's all of free grace. He started in the work, the work in my life, he is continuing the work of grace in my life, and he will finish it. And at the start of 2017, it's so important we remember the gospel. We remember who Jesus is. It's a work of grace. But conversion is also a process. I'll go through this one a little bit quicker. You know, you could always think, looking at this passage, that, that Saul's conversion was just one big dramatic event. And in some ways it was. Certainly much more dramatic than when I became a Christian. But actually God had been working, I'm sure, I'm certain, in Saul's life. Long before the road to Damascus. It's God's work. You know, Saul approved the execution of Stephen. He was there at the very end. And I am sure... That Stephen's incredible confidence in the face of death. His immense courage. The forgiveness he expressed as the stones were going in. The incredible gospel preach he did moments before he was dragged out. Must have had an impression on Saul. It says in Acts 5 verse 28 that the whole of Jerusalem had been filled with the disciples' teaching. I am sure it probably really annoyed Saul. But I bet it had an impact on him. And then when you hear about what the early church was like, their incredible love for one another, the way they shared their possessions, they, they did life at a whole new level. I'm sure Saul, at least at a distance, would have noticed some of those things. God was at work in Saul's life. But there was that moment when God broke in. And I think it's so, so important that when we read stories like this, we keep a good balance. We know the reason we're sat here is because of a work of God and a work of grace. But it's also really important that we don't get caught in the trap of comparing ourselves with other people. You know, of looking, like, looking at a story like this and thinking, well, am I really a Christian? Because I haven't got a conversion story like Saul's or maybe sometimes you hear at the baptism testimonies you know and you're coming and you you hear about a life like, 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 like that and then they encounter Jesus and now they're completely like that completely different am I second class Christian but but God is at work in us all in unique ways he is for us he loves us he is shaping he is changing us in my case, I responded to the gospel as a 10 or 11-year-old child. I don't even know how old I was when I became a Christian. I went to a Christian festival. I was in the children's work. Someone gave a gospel message. I think I was too timid to respond in the meeting. So I went home and in a tent with my mum, I gave my life to Jesus. Very undramatic. No flashing lights no vision of Jesus, no blindness. I don't really know 
when I did it. I just know I did. But key decisions, key choices, key responses as I grew up were just as critical. And dramatic conversions are wonderful and let's glory in them. But they only reach their full potential if they're followed up by good daily choices. And I I want to encourage you. God is at work in you. He is at work in process in you. It was seen before you became to know Christ, in, in, in you coming to know him and ever since. Our part is to respond to his love and grace in obedience and faith. And Saul's dramatic conversion would have counted for nothing if he hadn't followed it up by obedience, by stepping out in courage, by responding. And the last thing I notice about Saul's conversion or our conversion is that right from the very beginning, Paul is given a purpose. In verse 15 of chapter 9 it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. Part of Saul's purpose, part of the purpose of conversion, is to be involved in telling others about Jesus. It is a natural result of conversion. It's not just for Saul. It's not just for the mature believers. It's not just for some of those wacky ones on the edge, you know. But for all of us. The reason we have been born again, the reason we have been given such hope, is that we might tell others about Jesus Christ. People need to know. If we don't tell them, how will they know who Jesus really is? How awful it would be if they lived through life having some sort of understanding of Jesus, but missed who Jesus really is what he came to do, the hope that is offered in him. A mission and sharing about Jesus isn't just one-dimensional. Any of you a bit timid when it comes to sharing your faith? Wow, you guys are as bold as lions. I thought there would be loads of you with hands up. Anyway, praise God. Well, for the few of you that are joining with me in this, saying you're a little bit timid about it, You know, mission isn't just one-dimensional. It's about bringing God's kingdom. It's about allowing the kingdom of God into your life and then letting it overflow into other people's lives. It's about bringing righteousness into your workplace. God's rightness, righteous behavior, righteous speech. It's about bringing justice into situations around us. That's the kingdom of God. It's about bringing peace, being a peacemaker. Not inflaming disputes around you, but looking to bring um, resolution. Bringing comfort. This is the kingdom of God. Can you bring comfort? You You might be timid about speaking out, but can you bring comfort? It's about bringing joy. I think I want, to, you know, I want to declare 2017 as a year of joy. You know, I think, I think as a church, I've said it before, I think we definitely need a practice on the whole rejoicing thing, you know. And, and, and so go the elders, go the church, you know, in a sense. 
I need to practice it more than most of you as well, you know? Just rejoicing in the goodness of God. Just even some of this truth I've been talking about now. How good is it? How good is it that God loves me that much? Ah, it's brilliant. Anyway, where am I up to? Um, Healing. Salvation. God's presence. And I love these verses in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to finish it up in a minute. It says this. Just listen to these. These are, this is brilliant. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Okay, got that? Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Brilliant. He went about doing good. That doesn't sound so hard, does it? He went about doing good. And okay, the, the second thing's a little bit of a step up and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. But if you're a bit nervous about the second part, you know, you can give it a bit of a go, but you can certainly go about doing good, can't you? Bringing the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. Why? Because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. He has equipped us to live life with him and bring the kingdom of God. Let's be bold. Let's go out and let's do it. In the end, that is one of the reasons why we, we are moving towards one church with four venues. We want more people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We want more Saul-type experiences. I mean, they may not be as dramatic, but we want to see more people coming to know the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we're launching 6 o'clock church tonight. We're looking to grow it as its own community. Looking to reach a different demographic of people. Looking to serve. That's why this time in 12 months time, a whole load of you won't be in this building anymore. You're going to be in Bex Hill. You're going to be worshipping and encountering God there. And why, why are we doing that? Well, one of the reasons is because we want the 40,000 people in Bexhill, the third biggest town in East Sussex, according to Steve Young. Who knows if it's true, but anyway. <laughs> we, we want to more effectively reach them. Shaped by mission. At its heart. The gospel is an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I think just for some of us here today, do you know what? I want to give an opportunity for you to freshly give your life to Jesus. Church isn't about being on a serving team. It's not even about coming to church, although all those those things are good. It's not about attending a small group or going to the week of prayer that we've got in a couple of weeks' time. It's not about being a good person. It's about an encounter with Jesus Christ. Based on the grace of God, we receive him by faith. But although we receive him by faith, faith is not alone. There is a fruit that comes as we follow Jesus as well. Why don't we stand? Jeanette, where are you hiding? Jeanette, let's have the band back up. What we're going to do is we're going to have an opportunity to personally respond And then we're going to have an opportunity. What we're going to do is we're going to hear a little bit from Alid. And he's going to share a little bit about six o'clock church tonight. And we're going to pray for him. You up for that?
Now, I, we've been working on this for a long time. This sort of responsiveness stuff, okay. So we're going to respond personally. Then we're going to have an opportunity to pray for Alid and Lou and Six O'Clock Church. Good. Excellent. Brilliant. Jeanette, can you strum? Excellent. Why don't we raise our hands and close our eyes. Lord Jesus, we, we started the preach by singing, You are our source. And we finish it by confessing, Lord Jesus, you, you are the Christ. Who do you say the Son of Man is? Is he a good man? Is he a healer? Is he a great teacher? Who do you say that he is? Well, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if I just invite you right where you are now, why don't you just confess Christ in your own words? Why don't you confess who he is to you? Lord of all, King of kings, Lord of your life. Why don't you take this opportunity at the start of 2017 just to say, look, I'm here for you. I want this to be a year that counts for you. You are the king of the universe. It only makes sense that my life lines up with you. Just take this opportunity to recommit yourself to him.